Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. As always, a big thank you to our Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lila Nishma's David, Ben Menachem Manish. We remain very grateful to the Katz family. This morning, Sheer is also sponsored by Rennie and Paul Lustiger in honor of their dear cousins, Lori and Harold Landa, our beloved members, my dear friends. Thank you so much to the Lustigers, to the Katzes. Thank you to our sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor a Parsha Sheer, you can go on brsonline.org slash sponsor. You can sponsor the Pasha Perspective write-up, which, uh, thank God, is now being disseminated all over. People are enjoying some of the Divrei Torah. They're not my own. What I share, have the privilege of sharing with you. You can sponsor that as well. We are learning Pasha's Kisavo. We have the privilege, page 1068. 1068 in the Earth Scroll, Stone Chumash. And Pasha's Kisavo begins, Vehaya, and it will be. It will be when you enter the land that Hashem gives you as an inheritance, as a Yerusha. When you conquer the land, when you inhabit the land, when you dwell in the land. You take from the first fruit. Put it in the basket. Go to the place the place that God chooses to dwell. We've shared many times and we've seen in many parshios that the Torah, interestingly, curiously, does not delineate where that place is, leaves it intentionally and by design mysterious. Where are the coordinates? What do you put into ways? How do you get to that place? Torah does not tell us where the base of Mikdash is. Very enigmatically, mysteriously, simply says, the place God has chosen to dwell. Now go find it. Now go find it. We've shared many times, Soloveitchik and others, a Jew has to have a finely calibrated spiritual compass. We have to be seekers and searchers. We have to be on a mission and drawn to find it. It's not spoon-fed. It's not handed over. It takes work. We recently discussed, it's called Avodas Hashem for a reason. It takes Avoda. So you got to go look and you got to go search and you got to go seek. It's not handed over to us. You come to the priest in those days. Kohen takes the basket. You tell the Kohen, you declare, I've come to the land that Hashem swore to our forefathers to give us. And Taka, he's given it to us. And I'm a farmer here. And I've been successful agriculturally in growing product on the land. And I've brought it to offer it to you. The coin takes the basket from the farmer and places it before the altar. And then you shall call out and say, before God, While I'm here, let's start from the very beginning. Let's go back in time. Let's review history. Arami, Ovid Avi, and Arami, and tried to destroy my father. You're familiar with these psukim from the Haggadah, from Pesach. That's why some of you just broke out in hives. Vayered Mitzrayma, we went down to Egypt. We lived there. We were few in number. Vayisham Legoy Gadol, and then we multiplied, and then we became a great nation. Gadol, Vatsum Varav. Vayareo Sana Mitzvah, Vayanuna, they tortured us. They gave us hard work. Vanitzak, we called out. We cried out. Hashem, you heard our cries. Vayotzienu, you took us out. What does any of this have to do with the fruit? What does any of this have to do with the farm? What does any of this have to do with Bikurim? What does that do with the base of Mikdash? Yeah, that's ancient history. I got it. It's good. Pesach. When you get to the Seder, talk about what happened. I got it. Well, why right now? 
Farmer's here to say, this is my first fruit, this is the first, and I'm giving it to you, Hashem. I'm not keeping it, I'm not holding on. Even though it represents my toil, my effort, my blood, my sweat, my tears, it is for you. Because everything really comes from you. Perfect. Exercise in gratitude. What does that have to do with all of this ancient history? So I want to share several insights on this Pasuk. Vanisa Marta. Several insights. Let's start with an insight from Ramosha Shmuel Shapiro, who is the Rosh Hashiv of Beriankiv. And he says the following. Look at Rashi. Ve'anisa ve'amarta. You come. The farmer ties a little string around that first fruit, the little fig, watches it grow. When it ripens, plucks it, takes it, puts it in a basket, with great pomp and circumstance, brings it to Yerushalayim where he delivers it. And ve'anisa, you answer ve'amarta, and you proclaim this declaration. Says Rashi. What is the essence? What is the theme? What's at the core of the declaration, the proclamation the farmer says is, She'ein chakafoy tova. I'm not ungrateful. I'm not ungrateful. I'm here to let you know I'm not ungrateful. Not ungrateful. Okay. So we're going to see in a moment. That's different than saying I'm grateful. Why do we say I'm not ungrateful? Why not say I'm here to express gratitude? Well, let's start. So Ramosh Shapiro says the following. The Torah, We introduce the section of showing gratitude to Hashem with the words, when you come to the land, that God gives you as an inheritance. And then again, and then again, that God promised, if you look in this small section, if you count how many times in this little few psukim, the Torah repeats over and over that God gave you, that God gave you, that you gave us, that God gave us, that you gave us, that you, gave us, that you took us out. Yeah, we got it. Here's the fruit. I got it. Why are we repeating that over and over again? Because we confront every day of our lives. We confront the fact that God is hidden from us. And we have to search and seek and find Him and acknowledge Him and recognize Him and appreciate Him and talk to Him. But the much more comfortable, we're much more inclined, the more natural attitude or approach is to feel what? Whatever I have is my hard work. Whatever I have is the result of my effort, of my labor, of my toil. This fruit, I broke my back. I stood in the sun. I plowed, I planted, I harvested. Where was God? What does God have to do with it? God gave me the land. God took you out of Egypt. God gave you the strength. God gave you the posture. God gave you the coordination and the muscles. So over and over and over in this, says Ramosh Shapiro, because it's so difficult and complicated, because it is so natural to not see him and to give credit to ourselves, the Torah, in the very section that communicates the source of the obligation of Akara Satov, specifically repeats over and over and over again, Asher Hashem nosein lecha nachala, Asher Hashem nosein lecha, laseis lanu, vayot seyenu, vayiten lanu, asher nasatali, asher nasan lecha, God gives, God gives, God gives, God gave, God took, God provided, God helped, God sustained. What do you think? You knew that that land is the right place to farm? 
when you purchased that land? Who put that thought in your mind? Who gave the weather and the elements to support its growth? Who gave you the wherewithal, the physical capacity and competency to work the land? Who made it successful and kept away the infestation? A billion parts to the success of that little fig, that little date, that little fruit. That little fruit, you say, it's me. It's not you. It's him. And that's why the Torah repeats over and over. Says, says Rav Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, the reason we have an obligation every day to recite, to recite a hundred brachos. It's codified and it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch in several places. A Jew has to say a hundred brachos a day. In the living with Amunashir, we made a hundred brachos party, you may remember. We put out different food groups that required different brachos. And we made a little party of the hundred brachos. Mea brachos, bechoyom. We left out one sponsor. Also, a complete refuah shlema. Shalom dov ben shoshana rifka. He's having surgery right now. So, shavarafuah shlema. Speedy, complete, painless, successful surgery. Sorry we omitted it at the beginning, but all of our divrei Torah should be the schusta merit for the grandson of one of our members. Shalom dov ben shoshana rifka. We should hear only Besoros Tovos. We should hear very, very good news. Should be a successful surgery. So, a hundred times a day, the challenge is so great, almost insurmountable. It's so easy to forget him, to not see him, to not credit him. It's so easy to swell with arrogance, to take pride and think it's us. That The rabbis came along and they said, a hun- not 10 times, not five times, not 20 times. A hundred times a day, stop what you're doing and remember, Tim, that cup of coffee? Someone discovered the coffee bean. Somebody planted it, someone harvested it. Someone packed it, someone shipped it, someone ground it, someone packed it into a little Keurig. Someone overcharged for it. Someone, I know the coffee snobs, I'm gonna get emails now. Keurig, espresso, all the coffee snobs will now tell me what's real coffee, what's fake coffee. You make a shahakal. Every hundred, you come out of the bathroom, you see thunder and lightning a hundred times a day. Three tefillahs a day, 19 brachas each. They contribute towards, but additionally an obligation of a hundred brachas a day. Why? To overcome the inertia, to overcome the instinct, to overcome the challenge of not seeing him. So a hundred times a day we remind ourselves, oh yeah, I forgot. For a minute I thought that I control my breathing and my heartbeat and my health and my livelihood and the outcome of a surgery. For a minute I thought it was the surgeon because we paid top dollar and found the biggest mumcha and went across the, and I thought it was us. So I make a hundred brachas to keep interrupting, to keep reminding. And that's what the Torah is doing here. God gave you, God gave you, God gives you, God took you out, God sustains you because we keep needing to be reminded. That's how pathetic we are, really. That's how easy it is to slip into that forgetfulness and to not remember. So we have to be reminded over and over again. And that's why we begin, he says, with our Ami Ovid Avi Varir Mitzrayma, Kedesha Huda Lotia Measaf of Lachutz. Velachena is Boni Betchil Mesachas Atzoros, Shal Ami Srovarak, Biz Boni Matsavarash of Neatova, Misham Atova, Yatwal Apol, Rigsha Akaras Atova, Karaoi, Varkasava Ramba Moranavukam, Akrias Bikurum, Shodam Matsuvalisko, Yeme Rosh, Bizay Yarbela Hodos, Vifal Bibokinia, Shamizet Tetsa Akaras Atova. The Ramam says, You have to remember not only good days, but the bad days. We tend to 
only focus on the good days. We forget what it was like. I tore my Achilles several years ago. I had to have surgery and took six, six months of rehab. And I was on a knee scooter and I couldn't carry a cup of coffee across a room. And I wasn't supposed to be able to drive, but I learned to drive with my left foot. But all kinds of other, I can admit that now, Ma, because nothing ever happened. I was safe. Everything was good. But you know what happened? I remember I promised and I swore I'll never make the bracha ha-mechim gavar the same. Sha'asali kotsarchi, the kavana I'm going to have every day that I could take a step, that I could walk, that I could put on my pants, that I could carry a cup of coffee, that I could run. The kavana I'm going to... You know what happens? I totally forgot what that was like. So I totally went back to forgetting to have kavana. And the same is true with all of us. God forbid a person had a gastrointestinal disease or a bladder disease. A person was catheterized. God forbid, I'll never make an ashiyah to the same way again. The gift of eliminating successfully in a healthy way. Now what happens? We fall back into that trap of just feeling entitled. Entitled to walk. Entitled to eliminate. Entitled to eat and digest. Entitled to see. Until it's taken away. So the Rambam says, remember, hold on to when you didn't have it. So when you do, you'll never feel entitled and you'll never feel, take it for granted. And boy, can you appreciate the little things like taking steps without it hurting, getting up out of a chair, going to the bathroom, eating food, seeing clearly and easily and countless other examples. But here he also explains this question that I began with. And I don't want to spend all of our time on this first Pasuk, even though there is so much to share and to say. But why do we go back to the beginning of history? I'm here to deliver the first fruit, the little fig, the little date, the little string around it. God, I worked, I sweat, I toiled, I baked in the sun, and I'm here to deliver it to you, not take it home and eat it myself, because God, it really all belongs to you. I got it, and I'm grateful for it. And now can I go back to life? Can I go back to work? Why do I have to make this declaration? Let's go back to the beginning of the history of the world. First, God created the world in six days. What? Just hand over the first fruit. And he says the most magnificent explanation and interpretation. And what a message about Akara Satov. You know what the message of Akara Satov is? I was recently at an Ufruf. My Mechutin's son got married. Mazatov, To Andrew and to the Mechutin's family. My Mechutin Ari Pearl does something exceptional at every Simcha. We're Zohar to see it hours we share it together and now again at the next Ufruf. Some people might say it's unusual or why do it or it's a Tircha. But at every Simcha, he talks all about the grandparents and the great-grandparents. And he reminds everyone sitting there how we got here. And the people. My parents, our family, we do that too. Many do. You say, okay, they're gone. They're gone for many years. We're focusing on the next generation. The friends are roasting them. We're saying nice things about them. But why are we going back in time about people who are no longer here? And the answer is, you think you're so privileged to celebrate the Simcha? Do you know what they went through? What they came through to get here? Do you understand what it took? Sacrifices that were made? Prices that were paid? Do you understand? So the farmer, the Hakara Satov in any given moment is not only for that moment, it's for everything that led to that moment. So not only are we grateful for that milestone, we're grateful for what it took to get to that milestone. Because if one little thing were off, one little thing, one, one of those ancestors didn't survive. One didn't persevere. One didn't decide to try for another child. One didn't pay for the Jewish education. One didn't do what it took to not work on Shabbos. One didn't, would we be here? 
Would we be living this richly Jewish life? So those milestones, the Torah is telling us, Bikurim is a milestone where you stop and you say, you're in Eretz Yisrael. You just grew a fruit. Do you know what it took? You know what it took? I'm blessed to have two siblings who live in Israel. And, and when their children have an event at their school, it's very significant. But often my parents spend half the time in Israel. We'll see and we'll post on our family WhatsApp. You're not just at a Chumash party when you attend the Gan in Israel where the Chumash is given out. You're at a Jewish history party after 2,000 years of exile that there are Jewish children getting a Chumash in Modi'in or on Alon Shvut or anywhere else in Israel. That, that's not just that moment, that Chumash that's being given. That is everything it took. From the inception of our people, we were taken out of Mitzrayim through 2,000 years of travails and trials and persecution to the beginning of the redemption of the return to our land to the ability to have a Chumash party in Israel. And that's what the Torah is telling us, he says, that the farmer is not focused only on that fruit. Now, it wouldn't be very practical or functional if every time we said thank you, right? So, you know, you say to somebody, thank you for dinner, but let's go back to the beginning. I'm so grateful when I met you 40 years ago in our friendship in each other. Like, it's not so practical. Every email where you write thank you, right? Somebody sends you an article I thought you'd enjoy. Thank you. I want to thank whoever invented the internet and the technology and the email system. Like, it's not so practical. I'm not suggesting this is the level of thank you with each thank you. But milestones, moments to pause and to say, wow, what it took to be here, to get here. That won't be lost on me. So there's a big powerful message and lesson within gratitude. Gratitude within gratitude. There's the gratitude for the moment. There's the gratitude for that particular experience or success or triumph or object, but there's also the bigger context, the broader picture gratitude, which is to always live with that attitude of gratitude. For life to always be lived through the prism and the backdrop of, wow, the bigger picture of what it took to be here and to get here, and to get here. We had Hillel Folder behind the Bima several weeks, months ago, and he shared his brother Ari, Hashem Yikom Damo, was murdered and we talked about the rise of anti-Semitism and terror in Israel, and this is somebody who lost his brother to terror, but said, with that, I think he quoted his father, it's never been safer in the world to be a Jew. So, yeah, we narrow in, and yeah, we focus, and yeah, we fight, but we also have a Hakar Satov context. We don't just live in that moment, the dangers, the challenges, the issues of which there are, and they seem to be growing, but with whatever challenges are in Israel or elsewhere, it's never been safer. If you think about Jewish history and the mass persecution, and the systematic attempts of extermination. It's never been safer, bli ayin hara, to be a Jew anywhere in the world. So we have to live with, Jews live with broad picture, big vision, not narrow moments. That's what's going on in this opening. That's what's going on in this opening passage. A couple other quick ideas to move on. The Anisa the Gemara Tzotah Daf Lamed Bey says that when the farmer says this, he has to say it bekol ram. He has to say it out loud. He can't whisper, he can't mutter, can't just move his lips and think it in his heart. The Kol Ram, he's got to proclaim it loudly. Why? Why? So it says, Rav David Kerglatz, the Mashkiach of Neri Yisrael in Baltimore, in Sichus Chachma Musar, says the following. When you're in a crisis, when you're in a crisis, a moment of urgency, an emergency, you call out, you cry out to God with everything you've got with all of your strength and all of your kochos and all of your voice and all of your authenticity. 
The old, there's no atheists in a foxhole. So in a moment of urgency, a crisis or an emergency, you cry out, big tilum gatherings, heartfelt philos, flowing tears, kol ram. And when everything's going smoothly and well, successful, on plan, then you forget. So that's why specifically the Torah here says, thank you should be as loud as I need you. Thank you should be the proclamation, the declaration should be as compelling, as loud, as in everyone's face, as urgent as the emergency moment, as the emergency moment. The Ramban says, The Ramban says, the purpose of shuls is not only to come together to cry out for crisis. It's a place to come together and to cry out and to share, wow, thank you for all that's going right. Thank you for all that's going well. To attribute to him, to say thank you. So the whole beginning of our parsha is a master class in gratitude and an attitude of gratitude and how to say thank you for everything that's gone well and for everything, for everything that we have. For everything that we have, to be grateful. To be grateful. That's what Rabbi Nachman also says. Rabbi Nachman says, I skipped. Sorry. I skipped one. Rabbi Zedel. It says, It says, You say to the Kohen. So why do we need to repeat? You answer, you respond, and you say, what do we gain by repeating that he's speaking? And moreover, why do we say Aram and so on? So Rav Zayd Lepshin says, Hakaras tova zu eina amasha nemar betchila, el hakaras tova miyuchedes hakach, shezak alach yos chayim amitim shal hakara benosin atova, v'oda elav. So one is, I'm grateful. Here's what I'm grateful for. Grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful I was able to travel here. Grateful for my farm. I'm grateful for this first fruit. I'm grateful you took me out of Egypt. I'm grateful you brought me into this land. But you know what I'm really grateful for? This is what he says is the reason for the second I'm grateful. You know what I'm really grateful for? I'm grateful that I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I live with a sense of gratitude. So many people see the glass half empty. So many people see what's missing, not what's there. So many people live feeling entitled and bitter. I'm grateful that I'm grateful. And this is what we say in davening. Modim derabanan. A little preview sitter snippet. Modim derabanan. When the chazan leads the modim, the community responds. The Avudraham is bothered. Why? There's no other part of Chazar Sashats that we answer. We answer Kedusha, but every bracha of Shemona Esrei, the Chazan repeats it in Chazar Sashats, we're good to go. Why Modim? It's a famous Avudraham. I love to quote it. I'll quote it again in Siddur snippets. The Avudraham says, You know why? You can't outsource gratitude. Every other bracha, the Chazan could have us in mind. But when the Chazan says, I'm grateful, we don't say, Yeah, say thank you for me too. We have to say thank you. You can't outsource gratitude. What's the end of Modim Durabanan? This is what Rezidel says. What's the end of Modim Durabanan? Modim Anachnu Lach, and it ends, Asha Anachnu Modim Lach, Borach Kel Haudaos. Modim Anachnu Lach, Asha Anachnu Modim Lach. Wow, I am so grateful that I'm grateful. Because to live a life without gratitude, to live a life feeling entitled or hypercritical or bitter or deserving, 
a miserable life. The capacity to identify what we're grateful for and to feel grateful, what a bracha. So among the things I'm grateful for is feeling grateful. Modem anachnu lach, asha anachnu modem lach. Says Rab Nachman, when the base of Mikdash existed, every Jew would bring their first fruit. on the first fruit that grew, should that sprouted, that blossomed in their field. they'd give it over. And in the ceremony of Bikurim, you would repeat this line, this text, this script. But our God took us out of Egypt. Our an Aramean wanted to destroy our father. Yaakov, previous parashashirim we delved into. Who's the Aramean? Lavan? Where do you see in the Torah that Lavan tried to destroy Yaakov? We've talked about it in the past. I'm tempted, but I'm not going there. Self-control. I'm not going there. You could listen to the past. Who's the Aramean? And where do we see he tried to destroy our forefather? And there's a double benefit to learning that. You'll understand Pasha's Kisavo. And you have a Devar Torah for the Seder. So it's worth listening and looking into it. But we're not going there. So when Aramean tried to destroy my father, but God, you took us out of Egypt and you brought us to the land and you made me build this first fruit. Cost of Rabbi Nassan, Rabbi Nachman's great student, Rabbi Nassan writes in Likutei Alachos, Beitzim, hey, Yud Gimel, Shabikurim Esamlim Eshaz What does Bikurim represent? What's it all about? So one element we just spoke about is Bikurim is the master class of gratitude. Gratitude. To avoid being ungrateful, how to be grateful, Gratitude is not just honed in, it's big picture. Be grateful that we're grateful, all about gratitude. But Rabbi Nachman understood a little bit differently. And he said, you know what Bikurim is really all about? Newness, freshness, hischadshus. What do you bring? What is the means, the medium through which we express the gratitude? We don't take some ancient artifact we don't find something old and aged, the fine wine. What do we specifically bring? First fruit. What do first fruit represent, says Reb Nassim, in the name of his teacher, Reb Nachman? His chadshis, newness, freshness, fresh start, new beginning. In any relationship in life, you need to introduce freshness, newness, curiosity, inquisitiveness, creativity, joy, passion, romance, energy. Anything and everything can get old. Torah understood that. Intimacy, pleasure, the most basic core, animal, carnal pleasure can get old and routine and stale. And the Torah says there's an institution called need, the Torah by requiring a separation, it creates a longing. His chadshus, newness, freshness. That's true in every area of life, in every relationship of life. And that's what the Torah is reminding us. The farmer every year says, I'm bringing my first fruit. New season, new start. Lahavdil, lahavdil, lahavdil. I happen to not care about football. Not because I'm so religious, I don't care about sports. I wish that were the reason. I follow God's team, the Yankees in baseball but I don't care about football. Football just started. So the first week of football is fantastic to see. Like even the Jet fans have hope. <laughs> even the Dolphin fans believe this could be their season. Hischadshus. It's a new, it's a spring, tra- ah, spring training. This is our year. We've got this. The new school year. All those parents who think, 
I love homework. I love carpool. I love, let me post for the world to see a picture of my kid on the first day of school. I, lo- I love new school. His chadshus, newness. This is going to be my year. This is our team's year. This is my children's year. Freshness. So the farmer takes his first fruit and says, Ah, this is my year. First, beginning, freshness. It's a renewed belief in myself. Renewed belief in us and our relationship. It's renewed longing and desire and drive and creativity and joy. We have all kinds of impediments that say, eh, we have anxiety, we have worry, we have fear. We have a voice of self-sabotage, not going to work out, never happen, give up, walk away. Why bother? Don't try. Comes along Bikurim, first fruit, and says, there's a fresh start. There's a new beginning. There's always a new opportunity. What's the way to escape? What's the way to avoid these fears, these anxieties? That we remind ourselves of Hashem's goodness and kindness. You know what? He got me this far. Very late last night, I was just talking to and trying to help and support someone through a very, very difficult circumstance. And I said to them, you know, you've been through very hard things in your life. When you say, I can't do it, I don't have what it takes, I'll never get through it, I can't, you can. You know you can because you've proven you can. You've had difficult circumstances. You've had very difficult challenges and you've overcome them and you've showed the strength to persevere through them. You have it in you. You can do it again. And says, says Rav Nachman, that's what the farmer is reminding himself of. What gives us the capacity and the strength and the faith and the optimism to believe his chadshis? New try, fresh start. You know why? Let's review Jewish history. Let's talk about all the people that tried to knock us down and knock us out. Let's talk about all the experience that set us back. And here we are. We got up each and every time. We broke through. We climbed up, over, around, under, or we ran through that wall. And here we are in this land, with this farm, with this first fruit. Let's do it again. We got this. We got this. We have that strength. It's in our DNA. It's in our history. It's in our own personal narrative, in our own lives. We've got this. Says Rab Nachman, that's why the farmer stands there and he says, I'm here to try again. Kohen, I was here last year. I told you what a great year it was be. I blew it. I went back to my farm. I watched the wrong things. I said the wrong things. I listened to the wrong things. I blew it. I didn't give away 10% of my farm the way I was. But I, do, I blew it. I blew it. So why should I believe this year will be any different? I limped here this year to give you my first fruit. So the Torah says, you know what you should declare to the Kohen? Talk all about Yaakov and how he escaped Lavan and how he planted within you and within me, within us, the DNA to persevere, to endure, the tenacity, the resolve, the resilience. We've got this. Hischadshus. Try again. Take it from the top. New beginning. We can write the next chapter of our book of our lives. We've got this. And that's why we specifically read what we read because reviewing that history gives us the strength to believe that we can start again. His chachas. He goes on. We'll end here because there's so much more to see. But such a beautiful, beautiful message. So two messages, different. Is it an exercise in Hakara Satov? Or his chachas, new beginning, fresh start with the faith 
and the endurance that we learn from those who came before and what it took to get to where we are today. Perch Havav, Pasuk Yud, still in this context. Viata and now, I'm bringing it to you the beginning of my first fruit that you gave me. I'm leaving it before you. And I am bowing down. Now I have brought. So, the person who brings the Bakurim gives this long introduction, the whole history, and so on. Why? Birchas Amazon, we do that as well. Why? And so again, this is a lesson. Viata, now. The word viata means and now means everything I said until now was not critical or crucial to what I'm about to do now. Now the real Bikurim begins. So why was everything said beforehand? That's what we saw. Either broad gratitude for everything that got us here or to strengthen and support and empower me, I believe that his chachis we could take it from the top. How does he conclude the farmer? Mikra Bikurim. Farmer concludes. The Torah concludes. Be joyous. Be grateful. Be happy with all the good that God has given you and your home. You, the Levi, the Ger, Asher, Bikir Becha. Be happy. Or, put differently by the great poet, don't worry. Be happy. V'samachta b'cholatov. Says the Orachayim HaKadosh. V'samachta b'cholatov. What does that mean? Says the Orachayim HaKadosh. Orachayim Benatar. Ein tov ela Torah. Ein tov ela Torah. V'samachta. Be happy b'cholatov. What's the good? What's the tov? The little fig? The little fruit? What's the tov? Ein tov ela Torah. Shema yubenei adam argishim b'mesikas v'arevas tov ha-Torah. If Jews would really understand and appreciate and taste the sweetness and the beauty and the deliciousness of Torah, they would go crazy chasing it and pursuing it. And they would say, eh, money, material things, possessions, eh, it's nice, enjoy them, have them, use them. But what's my real life? How is it really defined? What's my real drive? What's my real passion? What's my real identity? What's my real goal? Torah. Ain't tova la Torah. Ki Torah kolelas kol tova olam. Says the Orachayim HaKadosh. Whatever tov is in the world, you could find it in Torah. Immerse yourself in Torah. And by this, I think the Orachayim HaKadosh means both Torah learning Taste Torah learning, the sweetness, the joy, the beauty. You're tapping into eternity. Eternity. Some Netflix series, some book you read, some experience trip you took. Nice, lovely, enjoy, assuming they're kosher and appropriate and okay. But they're this worldly. There are, there are pleasures that are genuine pleasure, but they're this world pleasures. And then there are pleasures where you're touching eternity, where you're tapping into eternity like a grandchild's Chumash play in Israel. You're tapping into eternity. I haven't been Zoha yet. But you're tapping into eternity. There are moments and pleasures. Torah study, seeing a continuity of Torah to future generations. The tish we had, the unity tish we had after some Friday night, that was a little piece of a slice of Olam Haba in this world. You're tapping into eternity, into immortality. 
So how could anything be sweeter or more pleasurable, more delicious, more joyous, more real, more authentic, more lasting than that? Torah mitzad atzma, so this is now the lesitcha elyon, a sefer lesitcha elyon, which I quote often from. Many of these ideas and these people I quote were really collected. I have to give credit to this wonderful sefer lesitcha elyon. So here he says, Torah mitzad atzma, areva b'ligvul. Torah itself is sweet and delicious without boundary. Every other pleasure in the world is nothing as gurnish compared to it. To be involved in it, immersed in it, engaged in it, oh, there's nothing better. So why does the Torah have to tell us? A person avoids, because you know what? Know what the Torah is competing with? Torah is competing with the pleasures of this world, the joys of this world, silliness and the superficiality of this world. So Torah promises us, If only you toil and make the effort, if only you take the first step, it's a bracha, it's a promise, it's a havtacha. Hashem is saying, taste it, try it. Tamuru'u kitov Hashem. My Bobby's favorite Pasuk. Taste it and you'll see how good it is, how delicious it is, how amazing it is. It's the greatest. Baruch Hashem, we just started a new yeshiva in Boca, yeshiva of South Florida. A new bachar, 13 bachram and six kolol, and an amazing rebbeim and hanhala. It's an incredible yeshiva, not for now, another time. The other day I was, I was there, I'm coming up the stairs, and, and the kol Torah, the sounds that come through the door and down the stairs, it's like, wow, I, it's Gan Eden. It's Gan Eden. Any, a room full of young people who are spending the overwhelming bulk of their day pouring over an ancient text because it has timeless teachings and it is a taste of immortality and of eternity. Ah, oh, it's unbelievable. It's the greatest and sweetest sounds that there are. It's an incredible, incredible, goosebumps. Goosebumps. V'samachta b'cholatov ein tov el Torah. Torah is promising. Try it. Taste it. V'samachta b'cholatov. B'cholatov. Perech avav pasuk chav zayin. Sorry, perech avav pasuk yud zayin. Torah goes on. Kisachalal la'aser. Now we have meiser. You have to tithe. You have to separate. There's a vidoy meiser. We are not going to repeat, although it's among my favorite divrei Torah. Why is it called vidoy meiser? The Mishnah in Sota. What does the farmer say when he takes his tithes and delivers them? I have a confession to make. And what's the confession? Don't try this at home with your spouse. I have a confession to make. My confession is that I'm perfect, that I've done nothing wrong, that I've done everything right. That's the farmer's confession. Torah, the Chazal call it vidoy meiser, vidoy confession. And what's the confession? Lo avarti mi mitzvosecha, lo shachachti. I haven't violated, I didn't forget, I didn't violate. I've done everything. That's my confession. I'm sorry, I have to confess. Don't try it at home. I have a confession. Why in the world is that called confession? Listen, the previous years, we discussed it. We discussed it there. But now, Perch Avav Pasuk Yud Zayin, in this context. God and the Jewish people are intertwined inextricably. We are inseparable. So Moshe turns to the people and he says, don't think you have an identity outside of your relationship with God. It is part of who you are. It is what makes you tick. 
today God is commanding you, you have distinguished Hashem today to be a God for you. You have distinguished God today to be your God, to walk in His path, to emulate Him, to imitate Him, to observe His laws, and to listen to His voice. So I'm one of the lucky few. I got a hold of Utzer Plus HaTorah, Beagle Heisen, on Dvarim, the Dvarim one, not easy to get. And, oh, there's such great stuff in this one. All right, I told you this fascinating Sefer who collects the most fascinating topics. So many I want to share with you in here, but we can't, we don't have time. But he has some great ones. Es Hashem in this Pasuk is an allusion to how important it is to learn Mishnah. Okay. I didn't see that coming, did you? Where in this Pasuk is there an allusion to the importance of learning Mishnah? In this Pasuk is an allusion to the six Sidre Mishnah. Lios Lachem Lelokim Izroim Shemaschah Bekriya those six phrases, six Sidre Mishnah, there you go. Didn't see that coming. He quotes here, Mesupar al-Maran ha-go'an ha-chsam sofer, she-bechoshana me-rosh chodesh elul ad-achar yom ha-kipurim, and because of this balaturim, because this pasuk, es Hashem ha-emircha hayom, ha-emarta hayom. How do we declare and proclaim that Hashem is our God today? Mishnah. Mishnah and Hashem are made of the same letters, a commitment not only to the written Torah, but the oral Torah, a commitment to our Misora. How do we declare Hashem is my God? By immersing ourselves in that Torah learning, by reading His diary, by listening to Him. Davening is us talking to God, Torah learning is God talking to us. So how do we say, God, I want to hear what you have to say, you're in my life? By listening. How do I listen? By learning Torah. So as Hashem emarta hayom, God, I declare you're my God today. How? In this Pasuk says the Balaturim, in two ways, are an allusion to Shisha Sidre Mishnah, to Shas Mishnayas. And because of that, this is the interesting part that he dug up. Unbelievable stuff in here. Because of that, the Chassam Sofer of Moshe Sofer of Pressburg, Chassam Sofer, would make a Siyam on Shas Mishnayas every year between Rosh Chodesh Elul and Yom Kippur. 40 days. He finished Shas Mishnayas every year in 40 days. Unbelievable, no? 18 prakim a day. Mashallah also came to He didn't do it the rest of the year. He didn't do it the rest of the year. Anyway, I was, I thought, a very interesting, a little interesting uh, tidbit. He has another great thing here, because the next Pasuk, Perach of Zion Pasuk, so not the next Pasuk, Torah goes on to tell us a story. When we cross into Eretz Yisrael, the blessings and the curses, Har Grizim, Har Eval, Tochacha, Ar, we're going to get into all that in a moment. But, when we cross in, the Kasafta Alavanim is called Divriya Torah Azoz Be'er Heitev. Write all the words of the Torah, Be'er Heitev. Write it carefully. Perach of Zion Pasal Ches. Write on these stones. So it's very, very interesting. We've shared this previously also. What was written on these stones? So here he goes through many, many opinions. Moshe, write the Torah on stones when you enter the land. 
I think it was Rabbeinu Bachai, I forgot where I first saw it. The stones at the entrance, when you cross the Jordan, put stones there that have the Torah on the way into Israel. Who said, these stones on the way into Israel serve for Eretz Yisrael what a mezuzah does for a house. The same way there's a mezuzah when you come into a house, put these stones for anyone who comes into Eretz Yisrael. In other words, when you land in Ben-Gurion Airport, anyone who comes in, citizen or visitor, Jew or non-Jew, dignitary politician, you kiss the mezuzah because that says everything about the home, there should be stones on the entrance into Eretz Yisrael on the way in. So what was written on these stones? The Ramban says, from Bracious until Le'ine Kol Yisrael. The Ibn Ezra says, the Minyan HaMitzvos. The Me'iri says, Sefer, uh, Sefer Dvarim, the Mishnah Torah. Others say, Aseris Adibros. Others say, Ksav HaKabbalah says, Shema V'hayim Shema. Big machlokas. What was written? But he also says, how big were these stones? Big, small, their size, their placement, how many stones? But then he gets into a great topic, which we don't have time for. When Moshe wrote whatever he wrote on stones, however big they were, did he put the nekudos? Did he put the dots? Where did the nekudos come from? How do you know the proper pronunciation without the nekudos? Torah doesn't have nekudos. Say for Torah, mezuzah, tefillin, we just have the letters without the vowels. Without the vowels, you don't know the proper pronunciation. I was once at a Chabad minion for a Shabbos very far away. There wasn't a Balkore, so they took out, I'd never seen this before. They took out, they opened the Torah, and they put on top of it, translucent. You know, you, you know the old days that like, you'd put on a thing to project? Back in the old days? So they put that on the Torah, so you read through the plastic, you saw the Torah text, but it put the vowels for each column. So each column, you put the plastic, and then the Balkore, anyone could be a Balkore. Balkore for dummies. What's the halacha about doing that? I don't know. I didn't look into it. I don't want to know. I don't know. It was interesting. So you need the vowels in order to read. Ask any bar mitzvah boy about the importance of the vowels. Ask any bar mitzvah boy or his father or the parents or the bar mitzvah boy teacher the trauma of the year of preparing about the vowels. So where do they come from? Where do we have them from? What's the authoritative vowels? And were they on these stones? Niflos binyin nekudos. Were they given from Sinai? He has unbelievable makoros, pages and pages of incredible sources. Where do they come from? When do we get them? Kamats and patach. Just if you're, if you're the type of person, you're like a nerd or geek like me that it excites you these types of things, he's got great stuff in here. But anyway, clearly most of you are not, so we're going to go on. Weiser. We'll come back to another. Megid Yosef, Be'er Tev. Says Rav Yosef Suratskin, the Megid Yosef, and the words Be'er Tev. Right on the stones and Be'er Tev. Rashi says, oh, right on the stones. He didn't get into this in here. Maybe he does. It's so many pages, I didn't read it all. Rashi says Be'er Tev means, write it on the stones, the Torah. When you come into Israel, you'll see it. Be'er Tev. Explain it clearly. What does that mean? Explain it clearly. Sansino? Art scroll? Koran? What does Be'er Tev mean? Explain it clearly. Did I leave anyone out? I don't want to get an email. What does Be'er Tev mean? Says Rashi. Shivim Lashon. Wow, these had to be big stones. I'm not sure how much was written there and whether it included the dots, the nekudos, the vowels, but you also needed to put in 70 languages. Why? Why 70 languages? Why 70 languages? Because what happens when the ambassador from Uruguay comes? The ambassador from France, the ambassador from China, thank you. 
How will they know how to understand the Torah? This is on the entrance into Eretz Yisrael. This is the mezuzah of the country and the people. Everyone needs to be able to read it. So Shivam Lashon. We find this even with Matan Torah. Gemara Shabbos Peiches tells us, that when God spoke, when we received the Ten Commandments, they came out, they were communicated. If you look in Lahavdil, 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 the UN, you see all the people sitting there with their earphones, it came out in 70 languages. Wonders of Yosef Saratzka and the Megid Yosef. I don't understand why. Was the Torah offered to everyone? Torah was offered to everyone. What did all the other nations say? Thanks, but no thanks. We're gonna, we're gonna, we turn it down. Take a rain check. Not interested, thanks for the offer. We're gonna pass. So if we have a tradition that every nation was offered and they took a pass, why does it have to be in 70 languages? Why 70 languages? So the Megid Yosef, or Yosef Suratskin offers a very interesting insight. And he says, you see from here evidence, and he quotes many, many sources. Amarsha and Shavuot, he quotes many sources. Kveger, Marsha. You see again this tradition that we've had, we shared many times, that converts who convert in Tavshin Pei Beis in 2022, we did a conversion last week, conversion meeting tomorrow. Converts who join us today, their soul was destined to convert since Har Sinai. So you know what? Maybe they've been living all these years in between in China or in South Africa, South, they speak English, they don't speak Hebrew, or in uh, France or Spain or wherever else. So the Shivam Lashon are for Geirit Tzedek, or for holy converts who also needed access. So you're right, nations of the world who turned it down who declined, they don't deserve it in translation, but for the converts who would ultimately convert, they do. I want to give a different answer. My answer, why would Hashem put it in 70 languages if they were undeserving? Who says the 70 languages are for 70 nations? Maybe the 70 languages are the Shtibel minion, the Sechsfard minion, the Ashkenazi minion, the Ashkama minion. I'm not joking. The Hasidim, the Misnagdim, the Sfardim, the Ashkenazim, Vizhnitz, Bobov, Labavitch, Satmar, Ger. Who says? So maybe the Shivan Lashon, as Hashem says, the, the Torah is not one size fits all. It's not uniform and you don't have to conform. There's many languages it speaks to us in. And the Torah speaks to us differently in, in 2022 than it did in, in 1902 and than it did in, in 1002. There's different languages and different times, different cultures. And for some, Torah is communicated over social media and technology, Basher Husham. And for others, the Torah should never, they would never listen to the Torah communicated in that on that platform or through that messaging. So maybe the Shivam Lashon, the 70 languages are not for other nations, but maybe within our own nation, we need to find the different languages that the Torah speaks to us in. Is that not the greatness of great individuals through the millennia? That Rav Hirsch found a language that he could talk to enlightened Jews, that Torah would be timeless and relevant to them. But that was different what was happening in Germany than what was happening in, in Lithuania, that was happening in each needed to find the language to communicate Torah for their time. The Torah is timeless and immutable, but the language and the messaging and the platform through which we communicate it, Shivam Lashon, is at least Shivam Lashon for that, and we should be open-minded to that. Perak of Zayim Pasuk Tes. Moshe, the Kohen Levim, speak to the Jewish people, and they say, Haskes, Ushma Yisrael. Listen up, be attentive, and listen. 
היום הזה, today נהיה לעם להשם לככה. Today, you became a man. Today you became a people. Today it's a start. Haskes ushma. This one I'll leave to you as a question. What do you mean haskes? Ushma. Shma means, listen, hear. Then what does haskes mean? What does haskes mean? You're all struggling because it means listen. Listen, listen. Art school struggled. How did it translate? Be attentive and listen. Well, if you're listening, aren't you attentive? Be attentive and listen. If you're attentive, aren't you listening? Okay. If you're listening, you may not be attentive, but if you're attentive, are you listening? What does Haskes adding to Shema? What does Haskes mean different than Shema? Revolba explains very beautifully in Ali Shor, but we'll come back to it another time. Let's go to Perach of Zayin Pasach Now we get into the curses. Arur. Curses. Hargrizim, Eval. Jews were split the tribes in two, Levim in the middle, making proclamations. Everybody answered, Amen. Let's take a look at some of these curses. Arur. Perach of Zayin Pasach Vav. Arur HaShalaikim is Divrat Torah Zos. Lasos Osam, Ba'amar Kol Ha'am. Amen. Cursed is the one who does not uphold this Torah, and everybody answered, Amen. What does that mean? What does it mean? I understand cursed is the person who perverts justice and doesn't stand up for the orphan and the widow and the convert. I understand cursed is the person who is promiscuous and violates moral boundaries. Cursed is the person who lies with an animal. Cursed is the person who steals or bribes. I got all that. But what does that mean? Cursed is the person who does not uplift the Torah. What does that mean? The Yushalmi in Sota says, Why do you have to uphold the Torah? Does it fall? Is the Torah falling that you have to catch it? Cursed is the one who doesn't catch, who doesn't lift, who doesn't hold. Says the Yushalmi Sota, Perak Zion, Hachazan. This curse is addressed to the Chazan. The Chazan needs to know, or they're cursed if they don't lift up the Torah. But what does that mean? The Chazan drops the Torah while walking it back. Cursed is the Chazan who doesn't sing Eitz Chaim He. Some of you have cursed the Chazan who doesn't sing Gilak Achtov. Some of you are cursing him if he's not singing Mizmol David. Cursed is, the, is that what he means? What does the Yerushalmi mean? Or Cursed is, what did the chazan do wrong? It's a volunteer, the chazan. What did he do wrong? So the Rambani has two perushim. The Ramban has two explanations on the Yerushami. One is, The chazan is not careful on the bima to make sure it doesn't roll off, in the aron to make sure it's safe and secure. It's positioned that it can't fall. Cursed is a chazan who's casual and careless with the Sefer Torah. Then, Cursed is the chazan who doesn't do hagba correctly, so that everybody could see the writing of the Torah. As it says in Mesechus, We have to show it, show it to everybody on the right and on the left, and you turn around. Nobody gets hagba correct. Shechter has a little known article. My great uncle, Oliver Shalom Macy Nolman, was the editor of a journal called the Jewish Journal, the Journal of Jewish Liturgy and Prayer. It was put out by the Bell School of Music. It's not well known, but it's worthwhile to read. And there are a few articles by Rav Schechter in there. I think you can find on whyutorah.org on their website. I think they have the old journals. And he has an article on 
non-well-known, this is not the title of it, I'm butchering it, but, but not well-known halachas of Kriya Satora. And in there, one of them is the proper way to do Hagbah. You turn a little bit to one direction, then you make a full turn the other way. How many columns to be open, with the seam. Most people are too busy competing with Arnold Schwarzenegger to prove how strong they are. Some of these people need to be tested for steroids. The Hagbas they're doing, how many columns they're showing. Rob, by the way, risking it all for us, our lunch and dinner. But there's a proper way to do Hagba. So the Ramban says, what's the horror to the Chazan, the curse to the Chazan? To do Hagba the right way. And to make sure that everybody sees, why is that important? How many letters are in the Torah? We have a tradition, 600,000. It's not actual. But there's 600,000, that's the tradition. How many Jews? 600,000, left Egypt. There's a letter in the Torah for every one of us. And there's an idea, there's no source in the whole, there's no source to use your pinky. No source. Not sure where that came from. One person maybe didn't have a finger, used their pinky, and then everybody thought, I don't know what this, I don't know, was in a cast, I don't know what the story is. There's no source for you, there's an article in the Hakira journal from Flatbush, there's no source for using your pinky. The Shulchan Aruch records, you point with your forefinger. Zosa Torah, you point with your forefinger, you find the letter that begins your name, and you say, there's a place for me in the Torah. I'm in the Torah. My letter's in the Torah, my name is in the Torah, me in the Torah. So the Ramban says, it's talking to the Chazan. But you should look, he says, at the, at the incredible idea here from the Yerushalmi and from the, and from the uh, Ramban. The Divrechaim. Divrechaim was the sons of Chaim of sons. There was an incident. He writes about this in Yerodei Chelek Aleph. This is again from Utzer Plosa Torah. Now he dug up all this stuff about falling Torahs and what happens and how you respond and how you react and, and Hagba and uh, do you do Hagba before or after? Sephardim do Hagba before they read the Torah. Zosa Torah, then they put it down, then they read it. So it's Hagba before or after. Chabad does Hagba, they lift it, then they put it on the bima and roll it there and cover it there. They don't sit down with it open. How, wh- where does it come from? What are the different traditions? Where does it? Torah. I don't get a penny, by the way. Not for Rabbi Shaka's new safer, not Otsar Plaza. Maybe I should get a commission for plugging these for him, but it's just fantastic stuff. So Divrei Chaim, tells a story, Dibre Chaim tells a story that uh, happened once in his community. What happened? The, uh, the Gabbai and Shul once came Friday night to Shul to take a nap, to rest, to watch the base Medrash and the Sifrei Torah that nothing happened. They didn't have locks and alarms and security, volunteer, professionals, but he didn't see anybody there and he didn't want to sleep there alone even Gabayim have phobias. So he left and he thought he locked up. In the morning they came back, Baboker Shayom Shabbos, Kodesh Bo, Mespalim Beis HaMedjish, Umatsu Asifrei Torah, Munacham Al-Ritzba B'Bizayon. Torahs were unraveled, rolled, lying all over the floor. They were Ganavim. They came in the night and they opened the Sifrei Torah and they threw them on the ground. And they said, what do we do to correct this? The Heishev Lahem Adivre Chaim, again it appears in his Chubas Yeredeya, the idea that you fast when the Torah falls, there is no source in all of Shas. You see from this Pasuk that Aror, cursed is the one who didn't uphold the Torah, whoever was responsible for the Torah and it fell, that's who has to fast. There is no source in Shas that everybody fasts. And even the cost of the fast is not everybody. It is the person who was responsible, the chazan. 
the gabbai, the shamash, the rabbi, security chief, whoever was responsible. However, there is an illusion from Mesechus Tanis. That the sins of the city cause the Torah to be embarrassed. So if something happened to a Torah, if a Torah fell, everybody should, the community should get together and introspect and maybe take upon themselves a fast. So there is an illusion from that Gemara and Tainus, but really that obligation to fast, there is no source. If anything, only the Chazan has to source his fast, not everybody else. And then he goes on, How should the Torah be in the Hechel? Is a, is a Nida allowed to see a Sefer Torah? There's a misnomer some have, the Torah shouldn't pass. Can women kiss the Torah? If a woman is in a state of Nida, can she touch the Torah, see the Torah? Fascinating sources. The answer is yes, she can. How should the Torah be placed in the Aron? Is the Torah standing upright? Is the Torah put lying down? Is the Torah on poles? Is the Torah like the Sephardim in a case? All these things that maybe you are curious, maybe you didn't even know that you should be curious, he collects incredible sources. Amazing, amazing sources. Amazing sources on it. Amazing sources on it. I'll tell you one more pshat. I give a vault, we're out of time. One more pshat on this Ramban. It relates to Rabbi Brody's having an event tonight through his outreach center, bringing together chavrusas from every segment and every um, denomination across this community. The Torah should bind and unite us. An enormous partner in Torah. And that's this other pshat in the Ramban. Zos means if you have the ability to uphold Torah and you don't. I mentioned this recently. Somebody bagels you. Somebody lets you know they're Jewish, but they don't know much about being Jewish. And you don't take advantage to invite them for a Shabbos meal, offer to learn with them, to inspire them. If you're not supporting Jewish education and Jewish outreach, you are cursed. You might have said, I'm neutral. I'm not an outreach professional. I'm not an outreach volunteer. I don't have time. I don't have an interest. I'm not good at it. So it's true somebody mentioned to me or asked me or hinted to me, but it's not for me. So we might have said, you know, you don't get the Outreach Person of the Year Award, but you also didn't do anything wrong. I would have said, you're a neutral, you're power of, you don't get Mafti Yona, you're not, a, you know, you're not honored at the show dinner, but you also didn't do anything wrong. Comes along the Torah and says, no, Arur, you're cursed. You could have inspired a fellow Jew. You could have inspired a Jew and you didn't. You're not power of our neutral. Arur, hear how powerful that is? You're cursed. Your cursed is unbelievable. That is incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. This Motzei Shabbos, we are streaming a brand new podcast. I'm starting with Moshe Yachmas called Out of the Shadows. It's about mental health, trying to take the stigma away from mental illness. It'll be a once a month podcast on different issues of mental illness, anxiety, depression, OCD, ADD. But the opening one, this Motzei Shabbos, pre-Slichos that we're streaming, we're interviewing four guests about the state of mental health in the Orthodox community. Dr. Pelkovitz, Dr. Norman Blumenthal, Rachel Tuckman, Elisheva Liss. Four conversations separately with each of them. Where are we really at? Let's be honest with ourselves and let's get rid of that stigma. Let's, let's start to really tackle it. So I hope you can come here and participate in it or watch it wherever you are. It'll be on Motzei Shabbos. I'll get the information out to you. But it's a really, really important topic. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of meaning. Living with Amuna, Baruch Hashem, there's a bris tomorrow morning. When the Rebbeim at our new yeshiva, Rabbi Steinmetz, making a bris, which means living with the moon is at 9.15, not 8.45. There'll be an email, but living with the moon is at 9.15, not 8.45. Tomorrow night behind the bima. Eitan Katz last week. If you loved Eitan, you're going to love his brother Shlomo Katz this week. Remember Shlomo Katz? So that's this week. So your schedule is full.
So we'll spend a lot of time together. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.